From KIOS in Omaha and Exarban Creative, you are listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I have a conversation with Precious McKesson, who cast Nebraska's second district electoral vote in the Electoral College for Joe Biden. We've received our certificates in the mail, um, basically certifying the election and, and basically saying that we are now, by the, by the law, we are ordered to come down to Lincoln to sign those papers. After we do the checking in, then we'll go over, the electors will go over to have lunch with the governor. And then from there, we'll come back out and then go over to the Capitol. And then it's an entire ceremony. You know what the Electoral College is, but do you really know how it works, what the ins and outs are? I didn't. Especially in this year, it seems like it's worth learning more about the actual process. So stay tuned for that conversation with Precious McKesson right here on Riverside Chats. And welcome to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock. Today, we're talking about the Electoral College, and we recorded this episode about a week before the actual electors meet. And so my guest today is Precious McKesson, who is casting Nebraska's second congressional district's vote in the Electoral College. And I don't know how you feel about the Electoral College. Sometimes I don't know how I feel about the Electoral College. Sometimes I feel like I get the Electoral College, and sometimes I don't. In fact, to start this show, I thought, you know what, let me let me go back and read just the first paragraph of the Wikipedia page for the Electoral College and see how much sense it's making to me today. So let me read it to you, and we'll talk about it for a second before we get into the interview with Precious McKesson. The United States Electoral College is the group of presidential electors required by the Constitution to form every four years for the sole purpose of electing the president and vice president. Each state appoints electors, according to its legislature, equal in number to its congressional delegation. Federal officeholders cannot be electors. Of the current 538 electors, an absolute majority of 270 or more electoral votes is required to elect the president and vice president. If no candidate achieves an absolute majority there, a contingent election is held by the United States House of Representatives to elect the president and by the United States Senate to elect the vice president. Okay, so that's the first paragraph on the Wikipedia page. And I think that about lines up with what I've been told. But sometimes the more you look at something, the less it makes sense to you. Uh, You know, it's it's, it's almost like the opposite of an optical illusion (laughs) where meaning comes from uh, from staring at it long enough. And so I talked to Precious McKesson partially because I don't feel like I really get the ins and outs of the Electoral College beyond I get that it favors certain regions more than others, and some people like that and some people do not. But I was, I was kind of looking for almost a justification for the whole thing because I don't feel like what I was told the justification was is really why it's valued. And I don't know that we really got a firm answer on that, but at the very least, I do get a much better understanding of just what is the actual process of how our presidents are elected. I understand how the vote works. I understand what it means to sort of be assigned certain electoral points, but then to actually talk to an elector and get a sense of what, what is this process, I thought was actually fascinating. And so I'm glad I'm able to share that as well as who Precious McKesson is, because she's also making history as the first woman and the first woman of color in Nebraska to cast an electoral college ballot for a Democrat. And of course, it is a a crazy year in terms of what's actually going to happen with the Electoral College. We recorded it uh, right before she actually did her vote. 
So maybe by the time this airs, it will be a little bit outdated, but I think it's a good lesson nevertheless. And I'm glad at least in this year, I've learned more about what the electoral college actually does and how it works. Even if I'm still a little fuzzy on the whole why thing. So here's my conversation with precious McKesson. Please enjoy. Okay. I want to start with just a dumb question here, which is essentially the electoral college is one of those things that I've been taught a bunch of times i've looked it up you know i i get the logistics of what it is but i find it kind of confusing and uh, as someone who's now part of it who's being able to participate in it can you give me just a rundown of what exactly is the electoral college what does it do how does it work so basically the electoral college um basically it's um it's like kind of like a winner take all in the state so however many electoral votes that you have in your state you get all of those votes for um, the presidential election and then the person has to receive at least 270 in order to be um, nominated as the president of the United States. Now in Nebraska, the only two states that split their electoral votes is Nebraska and Maine, which means that those are given to each of the congressional districts and then they can split their vote. So that's how we're able to split the vote and being able to get the one blue dot for CD2 but then the CD1 and CD3 went to Donald Trump. So it just varies. So basically, to me, it, it makes basically says being in a red state, we still have a voice. Hmm. And getting that, that electoral vote, it shows that your vote matters. When you have winner take all, it kind of like, it, it really disenfranchises people and say, well, what's the point of me voting? Because either way it goes, my vote's not going to matter. That's what some people say, my vote's not going to matter in a presidential because it's automatically going to go to whoever wins the popular vote. No, no. So some people want to get rid of it. Some people want it. Some people feel like we should just go to a ranked choice. So then all, so then uh, your top three will go automatically go on to the um, the national convention and then you can basically vote according to there and then they can be able to um, nominate according to whoever wins at, at the national convention. Do you think the electoral college is a better system than popular vote? Um. In this case, yes, because it makes it makes your your vote your vote. It, it, it's I should say this. It's it's real. I lean. It's like I lean like on a little seesaw because you know I see where everyone is saying where you know for instance with Elizabeth Warren, you know she had so much support. If we would have had a, a rank a rank system, once it got to the top, it would have cut off that person. Then it went, went to the second. Then they would cut off from there and went to the third. And then you kind of would have balanced the votes. But then you look at the electoral and you say, okay. You look here in Nebraska, where majority of the urban community is in your Sarpy, Lancaster, and um, in Douglas County, and then if you do that, if you do, if you take away the electoral college, the electoral votes, then it takes away and makes it a winner take all. You take away that vote, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like not saying you you just have to then we have to work a lot harder to try to get more people to vote, but then you really disenfranchise the people in those um, communities that you have a large mass of. Um, populations. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, like going back to the history of it, I mean, I, was it always set up to sort of be disproportionate? Was that the whole appeal that certain, I mean, cause like the way you hear it now, the general, it seems like the, a lot of the justification for having the electoral college is people say, you know, we don't want the coast to be dominating what middle America wants, which mm-hmm. is kind of a, it's, it's saying it is disproportionate, but certain people like the way that it's disproportionate. I mean, was that always baked mm-hmm. into the system? Well, I mean, it was, but then remember, Nebraska did not become a split until 1991 when Diane, I think I'm saying her name right, Senator Schmick um, introduced it and then um, then Governor Ben Nelson signed it in and then the Republicans tried to uh, override it. He vetoed him and it went through. And so from 91 until 
2016, they've always tried, the Republicans have tried to get us back to a winner take all. And then 2016, um, Senator Chambers filibustered when he was able to block it. So the thing is that we've only ever used the electoral vote one time, well, now twice in 2008 and in 2020. So it really, it shows that it, do, it does matter. It, do, it does make a big difference because if for so many years of the voting history, if you've never um, voted, you know, for, a, you know, the CD2 has never been divided, it just shows you that it's, it's necessary and it's needed, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you just want to be able to have that choice. And I think that's why Nebraska and Maine are so unique when it comes to the presidential election and people are say, oh, well, they, they, they be like, oh, they're this. And I'm like, well, no, just remember the night of the election, that one blue dot changed the whole entire direction of the presidential election. Because we knew at first we were going one way and then we started looking in, but just, if, just imagine if we wouldn't have got to the 306 in electoral votes, we would never got Arizona, Michigan, or Georgia. Nebraska would have been the, basically the deciding factor in getting him to the 271 to get over that threshold of 270. So I'm taking, we taking all that credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so, and you've, uh, I mean, you, you work, is it with the Biden campaign specifically or with the Nebraska Democratic Party? What's your background with all of this? So I started working for the Nebraska Democratic Party back in April of 2018. I was tapped to be the constituency director, basically working in, working um, in the communities of color, making sure that we had um, representation and, and encourage to get the voter turnout. Um, so I've been with the party now, it'll be three years, it's coming April. And so this past this past April, I was um, elect. I was not elected. I was promoted <laughs> to the finance director. And so you know, you don't really see a lot of um, women of color, especially in the Midwest, in senior level positions within um, party politics. Um, normally, you see us as the canvassers, the field organizers. You know, so to be a part of a decision making body, it was very you know really number one honored and very you know. Um, really ex- unexpected but the fact that i am there to help raise money that's going to elect democrats up and down the ballot that's one thing that makes me so proud to be able to talk to the donors and really express to them how much we need their assistance to really be successful and to see that i'm a everyday you know i'm, I'm one of those people you know so their, their donations are going to help make get people elected in office to help people like me an everyday working mom who was not looking to work in politics but i was always interested in politics and so um, did, never knew I would go into this direction of it become my passion and so much love for it. And um, this past July, after I became the elector, so I never I, I became the elector based off of my state the state central committee because as a um, state central committee member, uh, I'm able to go in and you know request it. I wanted to be an elector, so I was elected by the congressional district district two delegates. And in July, um, I received a call and was like, hey. The Biden team wants to, you know, interview you. And I was like, for what? <laughs> you know, I was like, that's a presidential campaign. And they were like, oh, they want to interview for a political director position. And I was like, okay. So I started reading. I'm like, the political director is the most one of the most important positions because you're basically the person who is carrying the name and making sure that the people who actually talk about the president and the vice president um, nominees of the candidates are actually getting out there and getting their their you're basically campaigning for them and making sure that people are sending that message for them since they can't be in the state. Mm-hmm. So um, I interviewed for the position with the national um, with the national Biden team, and then they came back and they was like, "Hey, we want you on the team." And I was like, "Okay." So I took a leave of absence from the Nebraska Democratic Party to go over to the Biden team, and so I was there from July until November, and then I came back over to the um, NDP after the campaign was over. 
So was that, I mean, I assume it's exciting, but also probably a little bit of pressure, right? Because uh, a lot of the messaging now is kind of on your shoulders, right? Well, the one thing is you had a great, you have to have a great team in order to get that messaging out. So your, your top, you know, your top, um, your top, I should say senior level in, um, of the campaign is your state director, your political director, and your comms director, because you're all in all day, everyday constant um, conversation about how this messaging is going, who is going to send out that message. So we had, we talked like, when I say all day, like sun up to sundown, because we had to make sure that we were having the right people send the right message. Um, even when we were picking surrogates, since we had a really um, non-traditional can- um, campaign, we were doing everything virtually. So Zoom and Google Meets was our friends. And so we had to make sure that we were getting the right surrogates or request, requesting the right people to come in and do Zoom events with our local panelists. And then we had to make sure we we're getting our looking at the local panelists to see, make sure that, that those panelists um, represent the values and represent the um, the Build Back Better plan and what Joe Biden was presenting to the United to America to you know get him to be elected president. So um, you know from op eds to um, trip calls where we had to you know plan even though they weren't here we still had to do a full trip call drive runs the day before it was an all-on show so um it was very untraditional but it was very it was a really a learning experience to um, know that no matter what situation we're in especially during a pandemic we can make it work and our main priority was making sure that we kept the um, citizens and the voters safe so we were not going to do anything that would put anybody at risk during this pandemic If you're just tuning in, I'm talking today with Precious McKesson, who is the Electoral College voter for Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Was it a surprise to you that CD2 ultimately went for Biden, or did you have a good feeling about it the whole time? You know what? Um, I don't take anything for granted after 16. I'm going to be honest with you. So um, I was very, um, I felt we just had to put it all on the table and had to just really work hard. And I say we had some great uh, surrogates, our, our state senators, our local elected officials, they stepped up. When I say, we, when I needed them, like, hey, can you go on the radio? Sure, I can go on the radio. Hey, can you do this op-ed? Sure, I can do this op-ed, you know? Even our Republicans for Biden, you know, they stepped up, you know, and they were like, hey, whatever you guys need from us, just let us know. Um, so it was really, um, I, I, I'm not even gonna say that I was I was banking on it. I just said, whatever happens at the end happens and we're just gonna keep pushing. And that's the thing that got us through. And I mean, like I said, I don't take anything for granted after 16. Um, 16 broke my heart. Um, so I was like, I'll never set myself up for that. I'll just work hard to see if we can get to the finish line. And we did, and we crossed it and we got a win. Was Biden your uh, choice in the primary? Yes, he was. Biden was my choice. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. When I, I came, I became a Biden. I've always loved Biden. You know, I just always used to call him uncle Joe because I felt like, you know, he, with him and Obama, they just had this bromance that, you know, everybody <laughs> loved. And I used to think that Biden would say things that Obama couldn't say. And I would just love it because, you know, he would get a pass. The president couldn't say certain things, but the vice president, for some reason, got a pass on things, um, which might, while have times have changed, that the president now can say anything they want <laughs> yeah. and, and no one says anything. But, um, so when I finally had um, chosen who I wanted, I mean, I went back and forth. And in the party, we, um, as a staffers, we always remained neutral. We never talked about who our pick was because number one, we, um, in any dim on dim races, no matter what, from federal to our local, whenever it's a dim on dim race in the primary, we stay neutral. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't share. So if we do share, you have to share everybody's. You can't pick and choose. And so um, I had went over to. Um, 
the Iowa caucus. I worked the Iowa caucus, which everybody knows it was like, whoa. And um, I actually worked with Superman, which I, I think his name is Brandon. I got to look up his name, but his parents are from Iowa. So the, the, the most recent Superman, um, his parents are big, big Democrats in Iowa. And so I did the caucus and um, I had, it was kind of weird. It was, Biden was not viable in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, whoa, but Elizabeth Warren and by, and um, Elizabeth Warren and um, Sanders were. So you saw people like, like pushing people to come over to their side. And so I was like, man, they are really serious about this. So finally we went to South Carolina. Um, we went to the um, South Carolina debate and it was a debate as well as the South Carolina Democrats um, fundraiser. So it was a big weekend and all the candidates were there. And when at this point in time, Biden was very, was really like low on the, like he was down low. I mean, at this time, I think it was um, Bloomberg and because um, Kamala was already out. So it was Bloomberg and um, it was a Buttigieg. Was he Tim Stein? Oh, okay. Stein. He was there. And, and I, and we went to the debate and I was just like, Oh my gosh, you know, like, wow. And so I had been, when Biden came out and spoke to at the dinner, I was like, okay, this might be, you know, we might be able to pull this off, but we don't know. And it was so much stuff going on um, in South Carolina. And then the next day um, with um, Congressman um, Clyburn came out and they came out in full support behind Biden. And to be honest with you, Biden was not projected to win South Carolina and Biden won South Carolina. And at that point in time, I said, okay, I'm going to get behind, I'm about to be riding with Biden because something's going on that I don't know what's going to happen. And so um, I just knew that I, I just had to then pick, make a choice. And, you know, at first, you know, I, I mean, I was I was a diehard, Kam- I loved Kamala. I just thought she was just the, when she came out, I was really sad. Um, mm-hmm. But when, you know, I just felt I had to get behind somebody who I really believed in and Biden was the one. And so I'm really happy that I did. And just look at, you know, to end up going to work on his campaign, it was an honor. And just that they tapped me. I didn't go looking for them. They came to looking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt really good. And you got to vote for Kamala still. I did. I did. I got to vote for her still. And then I get to vote for her again on my <laughs> next Monday. So, you know, um, that's overwhelming. And matter of fact, it's so funny because I have a signed autograph from her that was framed for me back um, last October. And it's in my office. And so as soon as she was named the VP, mind you, we're not in the offices because we don't want to, we can't work because of COVID. I call when I call, I was like, go lock my door and make sure my sign is up there with <laughs> my pictures. <laughs> so um, I was very, very excited, you know, when she was named and um, it was, a, it was a really good feeling. I mean, it, it was a mixed emotions because I didn't know how to feel, but just the historic part behind it. And I just feel like they're going to be a great duo and, um, just ready for them to get in there and, and make some change. We know it's not going to happen overnight, but we know that um, we are going in the right direction of change and for healing. Mm-hmm. So when you say you, I mean, didn't see yourself eventually uh, being in this role, what, what was it for you that sort of was the the moment of change where you had to get more actively involved in politics? It was after 16. Okay. That's that's after a pretty 16. common refrain. When, when I do this show, was, I talk to a lot of people. That that was very motivating for a lot of people, it seems. Man, I mean, I mean, I promise you, I don't. I don't ever want to relive that night ever again. Because watching the the CNN and watching how every every state was just turning red, he's like, he won, he won. I was like, how? You know, like I mean, I really was like, this is crazy. And at that point, 
I knew that I had to make some type of change and really get involved some way, somehow. So even though I wasn't involved in 16 to 18, um, I was very much so involved in my community. So neighborhood wise, making sure that, you know, people knew about the elections, always encouraging people to vote um, and just really not taking, um, not taking for granted. And so then when I went to go work for the party in 18, um, I was really excited. But before I went to work for the party, we had the Parkland, uh, the Parkland shooting. And I'll never forget when I started watching the kids in the different high schools around the United States, even here at Central High School, and we started seeing those kids um, protest and walk, do those walkouts. And I'll never forget saying, I was like, you know what, y'all better watch out because those are going to be the same kids that are going to be voting in their first presidential election in 2020. And look what happened. The youth vote increased tremendously. Mm-hmm. So um, I just feel like, you know, it, it was worth, worth the four years of everything that I did and somehow being involved and um, very just proud that we were able to do what we were supposed to do because at the end of the day, whoever's in the office should respect the, the respect the office and respect the constituents. And you're not a constituent for your, for your, for your particular party. You're the president for all of us. So you, you know, you can't pick and choose who you want to be respectful to. You need to make sure that everybody in the United States that you represent and because you don't once you come once you become the president you are now the people's president not the republican party nominee or the democratic nominee you are now the people's president and so we need somebody in there who's going to respect the people and um put our issues and our values and what we need in our in, in our you know livelihoods first why do you think i mean there was enough complacency that 2016 went the way it did and I mean, now it seems like it's course corrected where a lot more people are locked in in a way that they weren't before but what was it about the end of the obama era that sort of had this a lot of people sort of disconnected or checked out from everything i think it was the negativity and i think the fact that we had people that were influencing this election you know people that were doing things that shouldn't have been done you know like you have russia you have all these different people like in meddling into uh, to our affairs when we're, we're the, we're, I should, I mean, I'm not trying to knock them, but we're the country that should be the, we're the, we're the boss, we're the big ones, you know, and everybody should be following with us, you know, but you don't see us meddling. We shouldn't be meddling in anybody's democracy in anybody's country because we do not live there. And I think that's what happened. And I think what it just, the negativity. And then I just think that people were fed so much hate that there were so many people that were undercover with their hate and now all of a sudden they can express that hate and know that somebody that is in a high powerful office is supporting them and is agreeing with them that's not that's not good and so you had a lot of people who who have you know shown so much hate and it's like you can't backtrack now you now you can't back, like you can't go you can't go back and say oh well now I don't need I'm not going to be hateful for years no you showed who you were and now it's there you know and it's sad that um it's sad and it's 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 a sad thing and it's a good thing it's sad that people have done this but it's a good thing that people have exposed themselves so now we know who they truly really are I'm talking today with Precious McKesson, the first woman and the first woman of color in Nebraska to cast an electoral college ballot for a Democrat. She will be the split, whereas our other electors here in Nebraska are going for Donald Trump. She's voting for Joe Biden, and by the time this airs, it will have already happened. So learn how the Electoral College works, learn who Precious McKesson is, and her thoughts on both the race and what's coming up for America after all of this 
has happened and we move on to something else. All that and more after this break right here on Riverside Chats. If you're a fan of Riverside Chats and want to see the show not only continue but expand in new spin-off shows including a film club, a book club, and a news roundup, please consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash riversidechats. For as low as just $1 a month, you get access to exclusive audio as well as our full backlog of episodes. Our most recent 50 are always free. Older than that goes behind the paywall. So you get that plus exclusive content over at patreon.com slash riversidechats. Please consider becoming a patron today. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. And today I'm trying to get a sense of what exactly our electoral system is because this year it seems worth paying attention to it all in a little bit more specificity than you maybe have in the past. How does the procedure work? Well, today I'm talking with Precious McKesson, who is the first woman and the first woman of color in Nebraska to cast an electoral college ballot for a Democrat. So she tells me a little bit about the electoral college about how it works, about her. It was upcoming as I talked to her. It will have already happened by the time you hear this. Uh, Her vote in the electoral college process. And so learn how it all works as well as her read on the political situation right now, both in Nebraska and federally. Here's the rest of our conversation. Well, it's kind of confusing to me to some extent when I think about how Biden was able to get CD2, but it wasn't necessarily the case for Cara Eastman or some of the other uh, races in Nebraska in general. I mean, still is very red. So I mean, why is it that uh, Democrats have a hard time campaigning in the whole of Nebraska and even being as consistent in CD2 <clears throat> as I'm sure they'd like to be? Well, number one, we've talked about this and we're still trying to figure out the numbers and see where 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 the where it was at, where we, where did we miss? What did we, what did we miss? Um, one thing I will say is that as a, in a, any presidential campaign going forward, we need to stop picking just the, the ones that we know we can win. We got to start gambling and say, you know what, we're going for the entire state, especially with Nebraska and Maine. There's no reason why a campaign shouldn't invest in t- inside the whole entire state. You do it for everybody else. Cause you're trying to get all their electoral votes. We need to start expanding our resources through the entire state, not just for CD2. And I stand by that. I stand by that completely because I know that we could have won CD1. Um, I think that um, we could have pushed a little bit more. We were close. Well, I mean, it wasn't that close, but we were close enough that we could have, if we would have put a little bit more. I think we could have won CD1. But I just think we got to just start really investing completely in the entire state and not just choosing just the CD the one CD. Mm-hmm. So like when, when, what does that mean though, in terms of, so the money goes in and obviously there's more marketing, but I mean, what, what does it look like? Where does that money go and how does that translate into meaningful votes? So basically at that point, you're basically focused on your CD, your seat, your, in your biggest district. So your biggest district is CD two. So basically a lot of the marketing goes into that. You're, you're um, doing a lot of persuasion calls. You're doing a lot of phone banking. You're doing all these different things in this one district when you should be and then you have and then the state party basically in this case the state party then takes over and takes over cd2 and cd1 and then that's when they're putting all the um all the work in for for cd1 and cd3 putting in a lot of work to push the voters out in that area but if we just do it clear across the board and we have we you can basically build out more build have more um, people calling have more door knockers have more paid staff going throughout and really um, just attacking the entire state. I mean, if they can do it in 
Iowa, we have what ninety nine counties in Nebraska. We could do it here. We could do it. <laughs> well, I think they say uh, what CD two moved the furthest away from Trump from the twenty sixteen results. Now, what, what do you make of that? But then uh, someone like Kara Eastman not doing a little bit better than she had done in twenty eighteen. I mean, what what is it about? Uh, like, why was the blue wave so specific for Biden? I guess. You know, I'm gonna be honest with you. I think a lot of the negative ads that um, the that the Republicans did, um, they try to put fear in people, and I think that what they were very um, they were very nasty to Cara, mm-hmm. and they made Cara out to be this mean person that she's not. And I think by them doing that, that turned voters toward them because number one, when you start saying, "Oh, they're going to defund the police," oh my gosh, you know, and I don't, and this is the thing. No one is really, no one's really cared about um, black and brown people being killed until we started saying we wanted them to start taking the money from the police department and investing in the communities. That's when everybody's got to that little hoopla and all, and all these, and then they want to start calling us radicals and all these different names. And I think that's what they did. They they really tried to change the narrative of who Carr was, and all she was just basically saying is that. And I don't even think she ever said defund the police. Um, she just basically said we need to we need to be equal it, it throughout for everybody and um they did some really nasty ads and they tried to pin her to say you know try to pin her to you know to the national folks and stuff so it was it was hard you know and then to see us you know come through but i'm still trying to figure it out like where, where does how did that happen you know i'm just i just mm-hmm. don't know i don't know how that happened because we basically i mean she she was endorsed by all of us you know by the biden um the harris obama Ayanna Presley, she was she had top endorsers. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where that, how that happened, and trying to you know, just trying to figure it out because I I still don't know. I still don't know. Yeah, I guess it, it must be a lot easier in retrospect to figure out how any of these elections happened, right? I mean, you're still we're still in the middle of it. Uh, especially, I mean this this particular presidential election feels uh, extremely kind of prolonged, but also repetitive. Uh, there's not a lot of change to it. But so, okay, I, I remember when uh, when uh, the big networks started to call it for Biden, uh, it felt like this big relief where it's like, you know, to, on the one hand, it's over. Some people like it. Obviously, some people don't. But, you know, people out dancing in the street, it felt like this big definitive moment. And then uh, since then, there's been the Giuliani show of trying to Whoa. fight a lot of it. Uh, and I, I guess, how do you feel about what's happened over the last month since it started to be, uh, I don't know, seeing the show from the president, but then also, uh, people in Congress, you know, some of them won't acknowledge who won the election. So, I mean, what, what do you make of where we are right now and how, how worried does any of that make you about the future of the country or even just this election? Well, the past month, it's been really, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Um, it's been, um, hard to watch because we know that we know the facts, the facts are there. And so then you have people who are basically stirring the pot and it makes it, it makes it to me, for me, it makes it really, um, a little, not scary, but a little, um, more, more alert because you have people who are upset that the electors are going on the 14th to do their votes so it just makes me like real more alert of my surroundings and what's going on because you never know you have somebody who's still engaging with people with with the 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 hate and so um yeah it's it's been a lot and 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 then you see some of the positive you know 
I, I love how President uh, President like Biden has really um, stepped up to try to bring us some type of calmness. Um, because at this point in time, we have people in office who, at this point, it's like he, to me, he basically said, "I don't even care about the issues affecting Americans right now. Like, I don't even care about international or national policy. <laughs> like, it's like he has he doesn't care about anything but pardoning his friends and family and." You know, then I saw a story about a tennis court today. I'm like, we have people dying in the hospitals by themselves. And you guys are more worried about putting to get putting up Christmas trees in tennis courts. Like what what has happened to the the sense of um, of compassion? And, 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 and it's, it's gone. It's gone. And so um, I just can't wait until we're, we're to January 20th and we can then see him gone on that helicopter and if he only had to come, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss him, you know, that could cut out a couple of, couple of activities, <laughs> you know? So. so, I mean, but, but does it, does it worry you that the norm of the peaceful transition of power, I mean, a peaceful is probably the wrong word there, but just the norm of accepting the results and sort of like, you know, like, you know, in 2016, it was not obviously what Obama wanted to happen when Trump won, but there was still, you know, he gets invited to the White House. There were concession calls. There was shakings of hands and smiles for the cameras and everything. And although, you know, when they, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound that important. It does seem like the last four years have really showed that our reliance on norms uh, is actually a much bigger part of our whole political system than you would have guessed. So, I mean, it, does this worry you that we're starting a new cycle where it's going to be a bigger fight than just election day and counting the ballots going forward? Definitely, because that's a highlight of the inauguration. Everybody watches the inauguration. Everybody watches how the new president and uh, first lady go to the White House to be greeted by the current administration. Everybody watches, you know, when they come out onto that balcony to be sworn in. Everybody watches when the last, when the, 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 um, the current president um, is now escorting the future, I mean, the, the past president out and they get on the, you know, on the helicopter and leave, you know, I mean, these are things that we, we were used to watching. It's going to be totally different because most likely what's going to happen um, from what I'm hearing, like we've seen on the TV, he wants to stage a rally on the same day as the uh, inauguration. So it's like, you know, we've gotten so used to this, 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 this drama that they bring it's like, we know it's going to be really, now that he's not the president, we're going to have to go through the next four years of hearing his mouth. Like the next, four, I mean, it's like, get ready. Um, but I just think if we just, just keep it going and just, you know, I don't know what to expect because we, I mean, so much has happened and that's the sad part. Like, it's like, we just like, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it don't, you know, because we, we, we don't know what to expect with this man. Yeah, well, it seems like he, he's definitely good at keeping people uh, expecting the impossible in certain senses, right? There's sort of like this belief that even though none of the none of the evidence that people look at seems to suggest a certain outcome, you know, the, this idea that somehow he's impervious to a lot of that. Uh, and even, I mean, so the, the vote itself is, it's next Monday, right? You, got, you go to vote? Yes. What's that process like on the day? So um, from what I've seen so far from an agenda, We'll basically go in and check into the governor's check into the governor's office. We've already had the RSVP. We've received our certificates in the mail, um, basically certifying the election and and basically saying that we are now by the by the law we are we're we're ordered to come down to Lincoln to sign those papers. Um, after we do the checking in, then we'll go over the electors. will go over to have lunch with the governor, 
And then from there, we'll come back out and then go over to the Capitol. And then it's a, a entire ceremony, um, you know, and, and then we'll be done. So I'm really excited. I'm nervous um, only because I don't know what to expect. But I mean, like I said, I'm going to go in there um, with the utmost respect, even though, you know, there's things I do not agree with the governor. But again, he is our um, he is our governor. And I don't never want to be disrespectful to anybody in elected, you know, especially I should say. I don't want to be disrespectful in their in their home or in their their area. Um, and so I will go in with an open heart, open mind. And, you know, and maybe this could be a time to where um, other people will get to know, regardless of me being a Democrat, will get to know me for who I am and know that at the end of the day, I'm a true Nebraskan. And I just want the same thing for my family, the same thing that they want for theirs. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Precious McKesson, who is the first woman and the first woman of color in Nebraska to cast an electoral college ballot for a Democrat. She tells a little bit about how the whole system works and how she got to be who she is and what she thinks might be coming next. So, I mean, I know some states have uh, specific laws about how the electors vote or laws against uh, faithless electors, I think they're called. So does Nebraska have specific language on that uh, or is it sort of like honor system? No, we have a law. Okay. You have to vote according to what you um signed on there for. Yep, there's a law. Now can't change it. <laughs> a, a question I've had is when that happens, I I get it on the one hand, it does seem to make sense, but it also seems it, it brings me back to the question of just I'm not quite sure why we have an electoral college, um, especially. I mean, <laughs> there's there's sort of two arguments, right? So one would be it's actually like a real vote where people aren't necessarily locked in. That makes some degree of logical sense, but even though it seems more fair to how the people voted to have it locked in. So, I mean, I, I guess I, I go back and forth on whether I think the system makes a whole lot of sense in general. I mean, uh, I feel like I've already asked you this, but what do you, can you, do you understand what it is I'm confused about with the electoral college? Cause I barely understand at a certain point, but something about it just doesn't click for me. Well, I mean, because it, it feels like, you know, there's two votes, a popular vote and then the electoral college vote. And it's like, well, why do I go vote if the electorals is going to be the ones who actually cast the vote? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't go off the popular vote. So it, it kind of it goes back. You know, some people that's why people say they don't want the electoral college. Just do it off the popular vote or do ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like how it is, you know, like, well, why do we matter? But you do matter. It's like because that's the only way we can get to the electorals is if you vote. If you vote, then we then we have a shot at doing this. Um, but either way it goes, your electoral, the people who are elected to be the electorals, we all, we still go down no matter what, win or lose. In my case, the icing on the cake is that Biden won. And so I'm the only one there to sign for winning, for the winning president. And so, you know, I could be real petty and rubbing in, but I'm not, (laughs) you know, um, I'm going to be real respectful, but that's the icing on the cake for me. Because either way it goes, I would have had to go down anyway. Even if, if, if Biden would have lost, I would have had to go down still. And just imagine going down and they'll be like, ah, you know, so it would be four against one. So now you got this one that is really excited to go down and make that vote. So I'll be the one cheesing the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just it's got to be exciting to be a part of history, you know, multiple senses. Mm-hmm. But so I, how do they pick the people who actually are the electors? I mean, what, what are the qualities that get looked for generally? Well, see, so you don't I don't know how the GOP picks them, but how the how the Democratic Party picks them is that you have to be nominated. You have to basically um, how we do. We do it. You basically say you want to be the elector and then you go in front of your congressional your congressional district. So during our state convention that we have in June, 
we break up into um, the three the three different caucuses. So CD1, CD2, and CD3. And then at that time, when it comes to the electoral votes, you then say, okay, I want to be an elector. And so you have to have, you have to basically give a speech and then someone has to nominate you and then someone has to second you. Once they do that, then you have a vote. So in this case, it was myself and another lady and um, she's a lifelong Democrat dedicated to the Democrats. And um, we went, we, um, they, we voted and then I ended up, I think it was myself, her and another gentleman. And I ended up winning. And then the second round, I nominated her to be our at-large. So if something was, if I wasn't able to make it, she would be the at-large to go. How did you decide that you wanted to do that specifically? Well, this is the thing. I wanted to be a national delegate because I wanted to go to the national convention um, in Milwaukee. And so as the Black Caucus chair, and as a, I'm, I'm, not, I'm the Black Caucus chair, and I sit on the leg, on the um, state central committee member as a, a um, representative for LD13. So I was really excited, and so one of my one of my colleagues was like, "Precious, why are you why do you want to be a state delegate when you're autom- you're you automatically get a, a go to the national convention because you're staff, and not only that because you um you're the contact you're the basically the planner for the state of Nebraska for the convention." And I was like, you know what, you're right. And so in that case, I came off and because I, I did not want to take space for someone else that could go and have representation in the communities. Um, so I came off of that. Once I came off, then it ended up going, someone else was able to be um, elected. And so then they were like, you should go for the elector position. We know we've never had a black woman do this. That's, you know, it, it's very, it's a, just, just, just go for it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so then I got in and I was like, okay, so mind you, the electors did, we, you didn't hear nothing about the electors the whole entire election. It wasn't until election night when you started hearing about the electors and no one knew that I was the elector. I never talked about it. Never t- talked about it. Aaron Sanderford from the World Herald, the day that Biden was on November 7th, I'll never forget this, when Biden was officially um, named the 40, uh, you know, say he was the 46th president of the United States for president-elect, Aaron Sanderford made a status and said, so I, he said something like, Joe Biden's now the 46th president-elect. I think Precious McKesson is our elector. And he, ta- he, he tagged me on Twitter. And my reply was, yep. <laughs> and so I was done with that. <laughs> and then that's when everybody started calling, like, hold up. You're the one casting the vote. And so, I, again, I didn't realize the, um, the big significance behind it. And then um, as I was going through it, it's like, Precious, this is really a big deal. Like, you know, this is a big deal, Precious. And so I was just very, very honored. And then um, to be there, you know, to do it. So I'm excited. Did you, Were you not telling people because you were concerned about the outcome and didn't want to, you know, just put that out there and, I don't know, jinx it in some sense? Well, I didn't want to jinx it. And then I knew that if they wanted to know, because it's very, it was very easy to get the, to know who the electors were. I should just call the Secretary of State and say, hey, I need to know who the electors are. Mm-hmm. Because we have to submit our paperwork so far in advance. And the DNC has to certify it and has to be sent over. So um, it was just like, I mean, I guess because I was working on the campaign and doing all everything else, it wasn't like, it wasn't like on my radar. And then Jane Klebb called me, Chair Klebb. She was like, precious you know, you about to cast this vote. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I, and I literally, I, and I started crying that the night of the election, I did cry because just to know that we did pull, I was more crying because we pulled it off and got that vote. It wasn't more about me being the one to cast it. It was the fact that we, you know, 
all the hard work that we did, it paid off and we got that win. Well, it must feel especially gratifying to go from uh, not having like political ambitions your whole life necessarily, but then having sort of like four years ago, you have this moment where you're like, okay, I got to do something. And then to get this far, now you're part of the electoral college, right? That's got to feel amazing. It feels amazing because a lot of people that are in politics normally come because of family, a family, you know, history of politics. And I don't have that family history of politics, you know? Um, one thing I just always pride, you know, my grandmother, she she was only able to vote for President Obama in the primary because she passed away in, in June of 2008. So she never got to see him become president. And I just know, um, you know, the the work that my grandmothers, my great grandmothers who were all, you know, housekeepers in Oklahoma and Arkansas and then in here in Nebraska, you know, they they worked really hard to provide for their families with the minimum that they were given. And just to be able to be a part of history and then for my daughter to see it and my nieces and my nephews, you know, um, it's just been a, it's been a really wonderful feeling. Where do you go from here? Um, I don't know. That's the thing. So right now I am back at the Nebraska Democratic Party um, and I'm just kind of just taking things day by day and we'll just see what happens after the inauguration. We'll, we'll know. We'll see if I, if I go over to the to the Biden team or go get with an administration or something. I don't know yet. I'm just really kind of just, just playing it by ear and not um, really not thinking about it. Just whatever happens, happens. And um, thinking about, you know, considering, am I going to run for office? You know, just, just those different things, you know, um, because, you know, I would love to, you know, run and, and as an everyday Nebraskan, you know, I, I don't have like say no, um, no political dynasty, no family to say, hey, this, you know, doing this, I'm just a, a normal working mom. So we'll be really busting our butts to uh, raise money to have a successful campaign. But I really think that um, people need everyday people who live, ev- who have everyday issues the same as them to, to represent them in office. And, um, you know, so we'll just see what happens. Yeah, that, that, that's I've thought about that a lot in the last couple of years, uh, maybe the last four years. I don't know. But like especially in the contrast of locally and federally, this idea that billionaires are the best people to represent how I feel and the kind of problems that I run into. It, it's something I struggle to wrap my mind around. But I mean, I, I also get at the same time the reason why, you know, people with wealth are the ones who often get elected is because it's easier to navigate all those money questions. But I mean, mm-hmm. you certainly uh, having... I mean, even just the word representative, I feel like we kind of lose the meaning sometimes, but it's like to represent the populace, uh, the representative should look like the populace and have the kinds of problems yeah. the, prop- the populace has. So I do hope that that becomes uh, the norm going forward, or at least more of the norm. They should be able to represent and know what's going on in the everyday lives of their other people that they represent. You know, um, you know, there's people every day who are, you know, during this pandemic who don't know how they're going to feed their families next. But then you have people who who are elected to office who don't even respect the fact that they need to wear a mask or that we need to protect the people in our communities by putting a mask mandate. Um, you, it's, it's the sad part, you know, seeing that people still text message me and say, precious, hey, I don't have Christmas gifts. I don't have this, but we're 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 putting pulling funds together so that families are able to have gifts this year, um, tr- coming up with ways to keep kids excited about reading. You know, um, you know, we just started a program, um, our, our reading, our readers club, and we want to be able to, you know, we know that people during this pandemic, parents have had to struggle or be, or have to depend on unemployment or different things. And 
kids get those scholastic book readers and they bring them home and they circle every single book. I mean, I remember as a little girl, I used to circle every single book for the babysitter's club, you know, and you want every single one and then your parents can't afford it. And so we've come up with an idea where we say, you know what, we're going to start a reader's club and we're going to let parents, you know, we're going to put up this Google Doc soon. And when the kids get their scholastic readers, they can choose if their parent applies for or sends us a request, we're going to send them give $20 worth of books. They can get $20 and we're going to send the money directly to the teacher um, and with their, they're going to send us their book request and we'll send it over to the teacher so the teacher can order their books for them. You know, every kid should be able to um, ha- come into the classroom and when they pass out say, Hey, you got something, be so excited to have their scholastic reader book in there, you know, mm-hmm. and we need people who, who have that compassion and want to see, um, who want to see people thrive and people, you know, be able to provide for their families. And I think that sometimes people miss that. And I think one thing that hit me is that I do have a little bit of privilege and, and it, it but it comes and I, and I, I recognize that, but instead of me using that privilege to benefit me, I'm using that privilege that's going to benefit other people. And I use it to the advantage to be able to help them and say, you know what, that little bit of privilege you have, get in there and make some change. And so if people will take their privilege instead of use it toward them and use it toward the, to help people, we will be so much better off. And I think people should really start trying it. Well, I think that's a great note for us to end on. Uh, I wish you the best of luck next week as things happen. I hope it all goes normally and it's fine and just a really fun day for you. And I thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Precious McKesson is the first woman and the first woman of color in Nebraska to cast an electoral college ballot for a Democrat. The electoral college, of course, will have met by the time this hits the airwaves, so I apologize if any part of this episode was outdated. Remember, you can always follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let us know what you think. You hear what I think all the time, you hear what the guests think. Give us your side of the whole thing. You can also find our most recent 50 episodes wherever you get podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review today, or you can become a Patreon over at patreon.com slash riversidechats to get access to our entire backlog of conversations with the most fascinating people I can track down who will talk with me for an hour. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarvin Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Thank you, as always, for listening. We are nearing the end of the year, uh, and it's been very fun getting to know so much about our state, our country, and just all of the people here in Nebraska. So thank you for learning with me and listening. I'm Tom Noblock. 